Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you never opened a Bible or read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today our topic is going to be Dark Devices of the Devil. Let's begin in Isaiah chapter 29. In Isaiah chapter 29, beginning in the 15th verse, it says, Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? Is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Therefore thus saith the Lord, who redeemed Abraham, concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands, in the midst of them. They shall sanctify my name, and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. In this chapter, we find a few important lessons that we can learn for the days that we live in, because nothing's changed. The same things are going on today. The devil is using the same devices and the same plans that he's always worked with. In the natural, militaries know that they have a far better chance of overcoming their enemy if they understand how they work. And it's no different in the spiritual. We know that the devil is already overcome. The war has already been won. But while we're here on this earth, it's important that we understand the ways in which he works so that we can see his lies and deceptions for what they are. This will help us in our spiritual warfare, because instead of always being forced to play offense with the devil, waiting until he attacks, and then scrambling to figure out how to come against him in our own territory, in our own life, now we can play defense and come against the devil in his territory and attack him before he does us. We can't do this, though, if we don't know how he works, and Isaiah offers us great insight into this. Verse 15 said, Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? The first element of this verse that we need to look at is the second phrase, 
and their works are in the dark. Understanding darkness is fundamental to understanding the enemy, because darkness is his mode of operation. It's the domain in which he works. There's a reason for this. Darkness provides a cover. It keeps everything hidden, obscured, and blurred from view. This creates an aura of mystery to what he does, which is the only reason he's able to be successful. If you can't see him or his work clearly, to the natural mind, you can't be sure of how powerful he is or how strong he is. And the darkness in which he operates gives the illusion that he's far more powerful and strong than he really is. People fall for this lie and then allow him to control their lives, first by submitting to his oppressions and then through a lack of resistance, giving in to possession. When a person gets to this point, the darkness that defines the devil and his work becomes a part of that person's life. Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. This is how the wicked live their lives. Psalm 82 and 5 tells us, They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. The devil and his servants make plans. They devise purposes and attempt to hide them from God, thinking that because they do their work in darkness and in secret, that they won't be seen. But God is all-seeing and all-knowing. Nothing gets past him. People only try to hide things when they know that they're doing something wrong. They only try to conceal when they have the wrong or malicious intent. And this is exactly why the devil does this in his work. He knows that his work is against God's plans and his purposes, and he knows that his plan is only to steal, kill, and destroy. When it comes to the people of God, his plan is to try to destroy our faith. He wants to draw us away from God, and then he wants to lead us into his own prideful delusions. Verse 16 told us, Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work save him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed save them that framed it, he had no understanding? This is the product of the devil's work. He turns things upside down. He inverts things, which is part of his plan of destruction. He turns families upside down. He turns countries upside down. He turns cultures upside down. And if he could, he would even try to turn the church upside down. But we know that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Upside down defines the way that our world operates today. Isaiah 5 and 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Whatever is light, whatever is good, whatever is of love, he tries to invert. The more he can invert, the more inversion becomes normalized. Then truth becomes hard to differentiate from lies, because in people's minds, truth becomes fluid instead of solidly set in place. This is why we need to walk in wisdom and discernment, so that we never lose sight of the truth that God has communicated to us through His Word. As we walk in the light of the Word, we won't fall for the devil's deceptions. We'll be protected. As Christians, we have the light always with us, because the Lord is the light of the world. John 8 and 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now because the Lord who is light 
lives within us, we have been made the light of the world also, as the light that is within him shines through us. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 and 14, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The way that we push back against the darkness that has overtaken our land and our culture is through the light of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 to 16 say, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. A culture consumed by pervasive darkness can only change when light enters in. And the only way that light will come is if we make the choice to shine our light by living in truth and not bowing down to the lies and the perversions of the enemy. Light is always the antidote for darkness because it repels darkness. We also get a clear insight into some of the devil's devices in verse 21, which tells us that make a man an offender for a word and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. This one verse sums up our modern culture. Understanding this helps us to see far more clearly the devil's influence on the culture and the world around us. There are three important elements in this verse that we need to look at individually. The first is the phrase that make a man an offender for a word. There's never been a time where people were so easily offended they're offended if you say anything. They're offended if you don't say anything. They're offended by the way you say something. There are even people who are offended on the behalf of other people. It's evident that a culture of offense has gone too far when there's secondhand offense, an offense for people who aren't alive anymore, or when people get offended that we're not offended at the same things or to the same level as they are. This is a spirit of offense that has settled on our culture. This isn't something that's natural. This is something that the devil has worked up in people. It's a strong delusion sent to oppress and possess people. There's a reason the devil uses this. When a person is offended, it hardens their heart. And the more they're offended, the less and less receptive they become to truth and love because it blinds them through their own pride. Proverbs 18 and 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Offenses breed contention, which breeds division, which breeds hatred and resentment, all of which the devil tries to foster amongst people so that he can destroy them from within. As the people of God, we're not meant to get offended because contention and hatred are the opposite of what God has called us to. Jesus said in Matthew 11 and 6, And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me, we still live in a fallen world, and because of this, we know that it's inevitable that someone will say something hurtful or cruel or ignorant, but the difference is in how we respond. We shouldn't respond in the same way as the world does. We need to walk in love, even when people say things that we might not like. Ephesians chapter 7, verses 21 to 22, in the English Standard Version, says, Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Most offense happens when people take something to heart that wasn't meant to be taken that way, which is why we need to use our reasoning so that we can see what's being said for what it is. Offense is bound to happen 
but we can't let the devil use this tool against us. We have to guard our hearts, exercising our discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 24 and 10 says, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. This is the day that we're living in. This was prophesied long ago. And the Lord has called us to stand firm, not letting our heart be moved over trivial things that don't really matter. We can't give in to the spirit of offense that has taken hold on the world around us. We need to stand strong as outposts and bulwarks of sober-mindedness and love. Isaiah 59 and 19 says, When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. The next element is the phrase, And lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside. Our culture also refuses to accept reproof, and they hate anyone who offers it. But what exactly is reproof? Reproof is casting blame on someone for something that was done wrong. People today don't want to be blamed for anything because people have adopted the mindset that they're always right and that nothing they've done is ever wrong in any way. When people know that they've done something that's wrong, they attempt to explain it away, saying that their conditions made them act that way, society molded them to act that way, and all other types of lies that falsely try to exonerate someone from any responsibility for their personal actions. It's a culture that wants no responsibility. It wants to be free to do whatever they want, whenever they want. But that's not really freedom. It's anarchy, which as we've seen throughout history, only leads to confusion, chaos, and destruction. In the Greek, the word for reproof means to argue, chasten, convince, correction, dispute, judge. People don't want correction. They don't want to be chastened because people don't want to own up to their own actions. They don't want to change their course of action. They only want to be affirmed by others. They feel like correction is personal attack, a personal affront to them, when really people are trying to help them and prevent them from making mistakes and bad decisions that they'll regret later on. But they're blinded from seeing the reality of their situation, and they can't perceive that they're acting in a way that's damaging to themselves and to others. As Christians, we're called to embrace chastening and correction and to openly receive reproof because this is how we grow and learn of God. It may be unpleasant or uncomfortable in the moment, but all growing pains are this way. They're not enjoyable, but they're necessary if we want to become better people, stronger in our faith, and more profitable servants of the Lord. This is why the Lord has given us His Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16-17 to 17 tell us, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The way that we push back against a culture that doesn't want reproof is by continuing to offer correction in love. True correction is never done out of a place of cruelty or hatred. It's always done out of love, because we care about that person's well-being, both spiritual and natural. The last element in this verse that we need to look at is the phrase, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. The word just in the concordance means just, lawful, righteous. People don't want this either today. They don't want what's right. They don't want what's truly just, and they don't want to follow the law 
because these things call for accountability and they call for self-control, both of which the culture has set their heart against. This is what God offers to people, but they don't want it. They'd rather have the things of naught. The concordance says for the word naught that it means formlessness, confusion, unreality, and emptiness. These are the things that have affected people today. This is the product of the devil's influence on people. After he uses people for his own purposes, he leaves them confused, empty, and unable to discern reality. People are empty, looking for meaning and identity. People are confused, looking for truth and assurance. And people are unrealistic, looking for ideals to hold on to and ideals by which they can live their lives. They can find all of these things and more in Christ, but the devil keeps them blinded by his counterfeits, offering them things that never really manifest, and things that are fundamentally of no value. As Christians, we need to hold on to what is just, what is lawful, and what is righteous, and live by these things, so that when the wicked and the people who are searching for truth see us and how we conduct ourselves, when they see that we have what they're really looking for, that the veil might be removed from their eyes, and that light will start to break into their heart that is consumed in darkness. There's one other important aspect of the devil's devices that we need to look at. Verse 22 told us, Therefore thus saith the Lord, who redeemed Abraham, concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. These are what the enemy wants us to experience. The first thing is the word ashamed. He tries to shame the people of God, using our values and morals against us anytime that he can. He wants us to feel humiliated and to feel overcome, even when there's really no ground for us to feel that way. The last part of the verse said, Neither shall his face wax pale. This represents fear, which is the other thing that the devil wants us to experience. He wants us to be afraid of his supposed power and strength and superiority, even though in reality, he has none of these things. He's the opposite. He's powerless, weak, and inferior to us. He wants people to be ashamed and fearful, because in that state of mind, they're easier to control, because they won't resist. And the way that God is designed for us to come against the devil is through our resistance. James 4 and 7 tells us, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't have to live in shame, and we don't have to live in fear. God has given us the strength and the power to resist. We see the culture trying to make people ashamed and fearful when they don't agree with the accepted narrative. But this won't go on much longer. It's time for people to resist the plans of the enemy by refusing to give in to shame and to fear. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We need to claim this for ourselves and for those around us for this day that we're living in. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in the 8th verse, it says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame, 
even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The way that we push back against the darkness of the culture around us is by walking in the light. We can't change other people. Only God can do that. But we can let our light shine as we glorify God through the way that we live our lives. Our job is to be an ever-present reminder to those around us that there is a different and a better way to live. Isaiah 29 and 18 said, And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The only way for the ears to hear and the eyes to see is if someone tells them and if someone shows them the truth. We have the words of life. We have the light of Christ. And it's within our power to give it to those around us. We shouldn't take this lightly. Light diffuses darkness, which is why the devil fears it so much. When we let our light shine, we diffuse the darkness around us because darkness and light can't coexist. The devil has plans for this day and age the same way that God has plans. The enemy can only be successful if we don't resist. The church is a restraining force in the world. And the reason why the culture has gone to the state that it's in now is because the church has sat idly by as the culture collapsed. They haven't stood up for the truth of God's word. They haven't corrected the wrong course of action. And they've allowed the culture to shame them and make them fearful. This won't be the way that it stays, though. God sees what's occurring, and he won't tolerate the devil to overrun his people. Unlike the devil, the Lord's plans are always successful and his purposes always prevail, and he has promised to bring light into the darkness. Isaiah 42 and 16 says, And I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them, and not forsake them. When the Lord changes the culture for good, and infuses it with the light of Christ, we will be able to say, as John said in John 1 and 5 in the English Standard Version, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that you have seen the darkness that has enveloped the culture and the world around us. And Lord, we thank you that you're not going to allow it to stay this way. Lord, we know that you have seen the spirit of offense that has settled over our land. We know that you see a culture who doesn't want correction and a culture who doesn't want what is just. Lord, we rebuke this darkness that has taken a hold of so many people all around us. Lord, we thank you that light is going to shine forth into their heart, the light that can only come from you, and that the obscurity for which they live their lives will be no more, and things will become clear to them. The truth will become known. You'll lead them in a path that they've never known before. You'll hold their hand as you guide them along the path of righteousness. Lord, we thank you that you're opening up the eyes of the spiritually blind and that you're unstopping the ears of the spiritually deaf all around us. We thank you that darkness will not prevail and that light is going to prevail as it always has and always will. Lord, we thank you that you're going to use us as a vessel 
to continue to speak the truth and to live in love so that those around us will see that they don't have to live in darkness, that there's a better way, a way in which they can find all that they're really looking for. And Lord, we thank you for all the great things that you have done, all the great things that you're doing right now, and all the great things that you have set apart for us as your people. And we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to walk in the light and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingsburgbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingsburgbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. If you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.